for peaceful purposes. It will be used only for medical research and clean energy. It will, it will, and will certainly never be used to attack is, oh boy, used for peaceful <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Great Reset. Uh, what's up, Dale? Oh, uh, down a bit. oh, okay. So I wanted to start out with that uh, video just because it's kind of hilarious. I mean, now that uh, Biden is actually heading over there and that's what he's going to be encountering. But thank you for joining us. Uh, Grand Fork's best source. John Roberts is uh, gone again. Uh, he's out doing the beet harvest thing. He will be back hopefully next week. And then, um, yeah, uh, today's show is brought to you by Executive Properties. Are you still putting off that project around the house that's been bugging you forever? Do you think you can wait until spring and call a contractor and have the work done ASAP? Well, good luck with that. Executive Properties has openings right now to get that project done. In fact, you can check out their Google reviews. Austin says Barry and the team did a great job putting a deck skirt on my deck. It gave the deck a great finished look and helps keep my dog from getting covered in mud every morning. Would recommend them for any project, large or small. Tell you what, for that project you want done sooner than later, call Executive Properties, 701-330-1273. All right, so let's get into this. First off, I am... As always, joined by our friend David Waterman. Well, thank you. Hello. Oh, I thought I was joined by you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here. Yeah. How are you this morning? I'm, I'm okay. I, I like don't know. Shirt. I don't really know what I'm doing. That's a sharp uh, shirt you've got on there this morning. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, sir. Right. GFPS. There it is. And, and, and part of it's invisible. Yep. Oh, is it? Oh, just the BS. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Okay, what, yeah. am I, what am I looking at here, Dale? So... Oh, I got it here. We're good. So, um, you know, I'm just going to start off with a couple of news items here because obviously we're going to be talking about uh, everything that's going on overseas in Israel and, you know, Palestine. Uh, so right now, um, Iran is warning of multiple fronts uh, if Israel, uh, the Gaza attacks continue, which is scary because if Iran and Hezbollah and all of them get involved with this, we're really going to be looking at some trouble and Biden going over there I think is probably the worst idea because I think he's just going to make it even escalate even more it's like I mean just looking at that video from the the dictator they're looking at him as a clown that's exactly what they're going to be I mean they're, they're actually going to have to you know try not to laugh in his face uh, unfortunately I don't think they're the only ones who are looking at him that way yeah yeah I think pretty much everybody in the nation in the, yeah <laughs> civilized world right? yeah and so uh we got uh, Israel and Hamas war. Biden uh, to meet the leaders of Israel, Jordan, Egypt, and Palestine. Uh, he, apparently, he's on his way there today. Uh, it looks like Reuters reports that Hamas has set a senior commander and member of its higher military council, Ayman Nofal. I don't know. Maybe I hacked his name, but uh, he has apparently been killed by, his, uh, by an Israeli airstrike. And then, uh, and good news. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was able to transport hundreds of people from Israel uh, under Project Dynamo. And then, um, yeah, Rashid Talib. Can somebody just 
fire her or get her out of there. First off, she has a Palestinian flag outside of her office. So why is she? So that 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 would be an act of treason, I th- in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, she's there to represent supposedly Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't she? She's she's Minnesota, right? Is she Minnesota? Uh, Where is she from? Anyway, no, um, she did, let me she, see. she's the she's the representative from. No, no, that's Ilan Omar. Oh, Omar. <laughs> yeah, she's con- also just. I get bad. them confused, yeah. uh, but she's clearly not an American. Mm-hmm. She doesn't represent American values or believe in the Constitution. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, Yeah, so her top uh, campaign fundraiser accused Israel of wanting to uh, ethnically cleanse Palestinians. Yes, and there's so much evidence behind that, isn't there? Yeah, because uh, Uh, the Palestinians aren't uh, doing that, are they? um, (laughs) Never. That's never happened. That's never happened. Anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah, and so in other great news, um, Putin visits China underscoring ties amid Ukraine war in Israel and Hamas conflict. So Russia and China have forged an informal alliance against the U.S. and other democratic nations and is now complicated by the conflict in, that is now complicated by the conflict in the Middle East. So, you know, Russia and China getting together, that's, that's always great. Well, we've kind of pushed Russia right into China's arms, haven't we? Yeah. By, yeah. And um, I do uh, remember that I read something that Putin actually said that if uh, America wants to get involved in a war with uh, Russia, it will not be on the scale of Ukraine. Russia will retaliate with probably nukes. So we, we, yeah. <laughs> Our, you know, do you remember when President Trump was first elected and even while he was running, but, but certainly once he was elected, the, the leftist media, and I, I say leftist media because these are the people that also hate America. They're not liberals, they're leftists. They screamed bloody murder. He's got his finger on the nuclear button. He's going to start World War III. He had better foreign policy than any president since Reagan. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he had the, uh, the love and respect of our allies around the world. And he had the respect and fear of our enemies around the world. They feared Donald Trump, yeah. which is what is that's what you want that's what you want in, you know, murderous, brutal, dictatorial regimes. You want them to fear you because all that matters to them is power. And so if they're afraid of you, they won't mess with you, right? That's literally how it works. Mm-hmm. It's like if you have a, a, a gang whose goal is to pillage, rape, and kill people, and they do that, and then a big guy shows up, and they're all scared of him. He's safe, and his family's safe. Why? Because suddenly they're, they're nice people with good intentions. No, because they're afraid of him. Yeah. Right? That's the only thing that works with people who have that mindset. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder who has better foreign policy, considering the fact that after Biden gave them, I think, what was it, three or four uh, prisoners that we had that were terrorists, and then the $6 billion dollars. And Trump came out right afterward and said, you do realize they're going to use that money to do a terror attack. Give that, to, give that money to who? Iran. Yeah, well, since Biden's been in office, I, I, I think since Biden's been in office, we've given Iran more than $30 billion. $30 billion. I think it's somewhere between 30 and... No, 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 no. I think it's somewhere between 50 and $60 billion. Mm-hmm. And Iran 
Iran is the is the largest sponsor of global terrorism. They're the largest sponsor of global terrorism, and certainly terrorism against the United States. And they they fund Hamas the way that uh, that the, the grand grandmothers of the world of, of the country fund uh, the the Girl Scouts. You know, I mean, it's it's not even close. The idea that somehow giving that money to Iran and it's not going to end up in the hands of terrorists like Hamas is absurd. And now Biden's talking like he's doing, oh, I'm tough on Hamas. What are you talking about? You've been giving them American tax dollars yeah. in the billions. And he even went in there and he said, oh, America's not going to get involved with this. We just, you know, because we don't want things to escalate where it's going to go into Iran and everything. But now he's sending, I think, 2,000 troops into the surrounding countries there to not escalate things. I mean, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, as, as I read last week, um, you know, again, going back to... Here's the thing. We can, ignore, we can ignore the spiritual component of things, but that's a little bit like ignoring um, the engine on your car and just looking at the shiny paint on the outside and the, the comfy seats on the inside and saying, you know, well, wait a minute, did you put oil? Did you? No, I don't believe, I don't do that stuff. By the way, that's not unrealistic. I'm actually related to, I've got an, a, a distant uncle who was a salesman and he was, um, I mean, ridiculously suspicious of all salesmen, particularly car salesmen. He didn't think he could trust any of them. And he didn't know anything about cars. And so uh, he would buy all of his cars he bought brand new. And he'd put his sales, you know, his sample briefcase with his samples in it in the trunk of his car and, and go off and go around the country selling his stuff. And then he'd go to the gas station and fill up with gas. And that was all he did. He'd fill up with gas. Maybe they put wiper fluid in. But he never changed his oil, never had any of the fluids checked because he didn't trust, he thought that, that these mechanics are also part of the scheme to just take his money. So all he did was put gas in his car. And eventually it would either spring a leak or the oil would become such sludge that it wouldn't be able to cool the engine anymore. And the engine would burn up. He'd be driving along and it would just stop running. <laughs> He'd pull over to the side of the road, take out his briefcase of samples, walk to the next town and buy a new car. Uh, the point is, he ignored the engine. He completely ignored. He just didn't trust. He didn't believe, and so he ignored it. And and we can gain a lot of insight if we if we actually open our eyes to the spiritual side of things that's going on. Which is why I read from Genesis uh, last week about the Arab-Israeli conflict and the fact that the Arabs all came from Ishmael and. Um, and, and, and what, what, what did the angel of the Lord say to his mother, Hagar? He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. Uh, he'll live in enmity against all his brothers. And that is true of the Arab nations as a rule for thousands of years. That's not true of Israel as a rule ever. They, they, that, that, that's... That God didn't say that about them, and that's not the way that they've behaved. Have they been involved in wars? Yeah, absolutely. Is Israel perfect? No, they're not. But the Arab-Israeli conflict and what we see going on right now isn't anything new. And it was something that God said 
thousands of years ago, and it's still happening. So, and there, and that ultimately is the the basis of it. It is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle that's going on, and we're seeing it manifested now in flesh and blood being, you know, torn apart and 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 destroyed by this new conflict. But it's it's very important. I think we can get tremendous insights from the scriptures about not only what's going to happen. Uh, but why it's going to happen and what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Anyway, going back to the what, what, what you were saying. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, so, you know, even you have these pro-Palestinian protests going on. I mean, there's a huge one in London right now, and it just it baffles me that these, how, like, I mean, they're just brainwashed. You know, they, you, you talk to these people and they're saying, Oh, Israel had this coming for years and years of persecution. Oh, so, yeah, going over there and killing babies is what, you know, they had coming. And they're like, oh, well, that's just fake news. What are you talking about? They're, they are out in the open saying, we want to kill people. Like, that's, that's, we, we would rather people die than live. And, right. You know, and, it, and they're out there, they're trying to back Palestine like, they just did this. Did you, do you not understand? So one of the questions uh, and that I was hoping to get into today, but I don't know if we... If we uh, one of the questions is, where does the word Palestine even come from, right? Who are Palestinians? Who are they? Again, I'm going to promote this book, and I'm going to be referencing this book often throughout the show. I, I, someone gave me this book about, I think, 15 years ago. Um, it's called Philistine, the Great Deception by Raymond Barrett. And um, Mr. Raymond Bennett, excuse me, Mr. Bennett lives in, in Israel and he's lived there for years. He, it's, I want to just quote something from the very beginning of the book. He says, he says um, uh, let me see, I should have, see, I know I should have. His father said to him, um, I can't find it uh, quickly, but his father said to him when he was a boy, he said, World War III will start in the Middle East. That was in the 1960s that his father said. They said, keep your eyes on the Middle East because that's where World War III is going to start. His, his father at the time was uh, agnostic. He was a declared agnostic. But, and Raymond Bennett didn't, you know, as a kid, he didn't really care about that stuff. So he really didn't pay attention. He later became a Christian. His father became a Christian. And then he thought, wow, my dad really knew what he was talking about because it's exactly right. According to the Bible, Israel is the center of the world. I mean, that is the center of the world. God gave the land of Israel to the Jews. He gave it to them as an everlasting possession. The Bible repeats that over and over and over again. The nation of Israel is God's chosen people. And, and even though they failed multiple times in doing what God told them to do, it's like God doesn't reject them just because they failed or were disobedient any more than you would disown your own son just because he's disobedient, right? And you might get angry at him. You might spank him. Of course, you wouldn't let any of the leftist neighbors in the neighborhood know that you spanked him because they would try to take him away from you, right? <laughs> but, but the point is that God made a promise to Abram and he said, he said, basically, he who blesses you, I will bless, and he who curses you, I will curse. So these nations that are against Israel are fighting a losing battle. I mean, it is a losing battle. They can't, they can't possibly win. Um, 
and and yet the bloodshed that has already been committed over there is going to only increase because yeah america doesn't know i don't i don't think that biden has a clue how to respond i think that if president trump was in office things would be very different uh but we'll get into the whole arab israeli conflict um because i think it's important to understand you know it, it goes back it goes back a long ways and and when you hear the one of the things that that mr bennett talks about is the arab mind and he starts off with an apology saying i know there's no such thing as the arab mind but in general there is a mindset that arabs have that characterizes the way that they behave and he describes it very accurately and he uses arab writers and and uh and commentators to make his point so he doesn't have to make anything up they actually say things about themselves for example an arab an often quoted arab proverb today i against this is it i against my brothers i and my brothers against my cousins i and my cousins against the world that's a proverb <laughs> how'd you like that proverb spoken about you but they say it proudly about themselves. Mm-hmm. I against my brothers, I and my brothers against my cousins, I and my cousins against the world. What was it that I read last week from Scripture? It's actually in this book as well. The Lord said to Ishmael, Abraham's son by Hagar, quote, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. That's the NIV version. So there's another Arab man, uh, I don't remember his name, but he, I get it for you, um, he said, writing about his own people, all our people are armed, all fight, and all kill for the least thing. We are very jealous of our rights. If in this village two houses should suddenly engage in a fight, the entire population would split into two parties and join in the fight. War would break out in the, could break out in the village. When it subsides, and only then, would the people ask, what was the cause, well, what the cause of the fighting was? When the fighting subsides, and only then, will the people ask what the cause of the fighting was. In other words, they'll fight and not even know why they're fighting. They fight first, and then inquire as to the cause of the fight. This is our way of life. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the reasons that Raymond Bennett wrote this book is because we have, generally speaking, a Western mind. The minds of the people in the United States and in the West in general have been informed by Scripture, by Judeo-Christian teachings and principles, right? So the concept of sanctity of life. Uh, the concept of justice, the concept of fairness, the concept of truth. Those are all biblical concepts, right? But the Arab world is predominantly um, focused on Arabic writings and Arabic tradition, and much of that is informed by the Quran, right? There are the, the, Muhammad was a, was a Muslim, and so they've they've adopted Quranic ways of thinking and, and Arab ways of thinking. 
uh, you know, we think that we think that truth is a is a virtue, but in the Arab world, um, similar in in one way to the to Japan, the Japanese way of thinking. You know, in Japan, they talk about losing face. What does it mean if a, a Japanese person says, uh, "I can't do that. I would lose face." What what is he talking about when he says that? Yeah, he wouldn't be respected. Yeah, wouldn't be respected. Would lose respect. Or he he. Japanese people are also very, very family-oriented, right? Their, their families are very important to them. They have high respect for their parents, uh, high respect for their grandparents. And so that respect informs their behavior. So uh, traditionally, Japanese children would refrain from doing something that they might want to do if they felt that doing that thing would cause their parents to lose face or their grandparents or anyone in their family. They, they won't bring disgrace. That means bringing disgrace on the family, right? Mm-hmm. So the Arab world uh, and, and Arab culture has a very similar kind of philosophy, only to the Arab, it's not, they don't say losing face. They, they, they would say that everything either whitens the face or blackens the face. And so to blacken the face is the same thing as to lose face or to to cause embarrassment. And nothing trumps that. There's nothing more important than whitening the face. And they carry that through in their relationships with each other. Uh, if If an Arab is talking with someone... They'll say things, if you're a friend, they're, they're talking to you, they'll say things to try to whiten your face. In fact, they will openly lie to say things that you think are good, right? Because they'll understand what's important to you. They'll say the things that they think you want to hear because that whitens the face. And so it, Raymond Bennett points out in his book that a Westerner talking with an Arab from the Middle East um, will think that they had a really good conversation because that person said all kinds of great things. And he, Bennett points out that while the Arab person is saying those things, he truly believes it while he's saying it, because it's so important for him to, to whiten the face of his friend. But then he might turn around the, you know, the very next hour and say something totally different to his own friends, who are other Arabs, and talk about what a scoundrel you are. <laughs> or what it is that you believe or what you want. Even though when he's talking to you, he's all for it. So uh, that's something for us as, as, as Westerners that's just bizarre, right? I mean, it, it, does that strike you as a strange way to conduct a conversation with someone? Well, I think people do it all the time. In, in ways that are not... Okay, so give me an example of how they do that all the time. You mean in the West? Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, like if, uh, just think of like a job interview. They're going to tell the, the person that's, you know, they're trying to get hired everything good that they can. It's when they have to answer a question that, about something that's bad, they'll either lie about it or they'll try to avoid it entirely. Right. Okay. So you're talking about putting your best foot forward, right? Yep. To make yourself look good to someone else. But what we're talking about is, for example, if you get on a rant about how terrible uh, Donald Trump is and you're talking to an Arab, he would agree with you. Yes, he's terrible. Oh, he's, and, and he would, everything that you'd say, 
he would agree with and he would find ways of building up what you say. And then he would turn around later and say, yes, this man, he's an idiot. I think, I think in the West it's called backstabbing. Okay, so the, my point is you wouldn't change the... I'll give you an example. Um, there was an Arab man that I uh, became uh, friends with. He, he came here from another country. I'm not going to say... Uh, I'll think about it. Uh, he was actually a, a, an official in his country. He was a fairly high up official in his country. And um, I asked him how things are going there. And he said, uh, oh, bad, bad. It's not good because uh, the, the Jews are ter- they're just, they're, they're destroying everything. He was there with his son who went at the time to an American university and was very fluent in English. And this friend of mine was, he could carry on a conversation, was not as fluent as his friend was. And he started telling me how horrible the Jews were. I had someone that was a very close friend of mine who was there at the time. And, um, and he's starting to say how terrible the Jews are and how they're the cause of every problem. And I had made, I'd started to say about this person in the other room was Jewish. And then I stop myself because I wanted to hear the rest of what he said, but his son picked up on it and his son spoke to his father in Arabic and his father just stopped and he said, this person is Jewish? I said, yes. He said, we love the Jews. Uh, We love the Jews, the wonderful people, the wonderful people. Just like that. He went from how horrible they are that they're the cause of all the problems in his country to we love the Jews, they're wonderful people. Yes, we love the Jews. So, we would consider that embarrassing, but in the, in the Arab world, according to Mr. Bennett, uh, if it whitens the face... Well, is that, is that why we call it two-faced? Well, no, I mean, that's a different, that's a different expression, but that's, that's based on the idea that truth is virtuous. According to Mr. Bennett, in the Arab world whitening the face is virtuous no matter what it takes. So in other words, even if you're lying, it's okay if it prevents you from, lo- from, from losing honor or your family from losing honor. I'll give an example. He says, um, and he talks about, he talks about Arab. Okay, I'll just read this. This face or honor is such an integral part of the Arab mind that a person is considered perfectly justified in resorting to deceit and falseness in order to whiten or save their own or someone else's or the entire Arab world's face. The Arab mind is in perpetual motion, working against blackening the face or losing face, and thus sculptures its words accordingly. When it comes to whitening or saving somebody else's face or the face of the Arab world, Lying is even considered to be a duty. Arab lying, like Arab hospitality, generosity, and raiding, is an echo from the past, as made clear by an early Islamic theologian who wrote this, quote, We must lie when truth leads to unpleasant results. End quote. We must lie when truth leads to unpleasant results. Quote, it is sometimes a duty to lie. If lies the only way to reach a good result, it is allowable. And a medieval Syrian poet also wrote, quote, I lift my voice to utter lies absurd, for when I speak the truth, my hushed tones scarce are heard. 
Lying, therefore, has been a normal, integral, prevalent, and perfectly acceptable facet of Arab culture since time immemorial. And so in the West, when we hear, there, there was some, some American guy who was at, uh, uh, they say, when, when one reads statements made by prominent politicians to the effect that it's not what is said by Arab leaders in Arabic that counts, but what they say publicly in English. Former United States Ambassador Malcolm Toome understood that exactly the opposite is true. If you want to know what leaders of non-democratic regimes really believe, don't listen to their declarations to Western statements and journalists, but what they say among themselves. So uh, the question is, let's see. Ah, Hamas was created by who? It was created by by Muslim... You mean, I don't know the actual, the the person's name. Um, uh, Let's see, Arafat created... um, um, well, didn't the Palestinian government elect Hamas leaders to, did, to run yeah. it? Yeah, they did. Right. Yeah. Um, both are fighting and losing battle. Yeah. Right. No, she's yeah, she's right. Yeah, Marie is right. Both are fighting and losing battle. There will never be peace until they accept Jesus Christ's God's gift to the world. So there is a um, there's a book or a, a video that came out several years ago called uh, Forbidden Peace. And there's a building or buildings in Israel where Arabs and Jews meet together in private. It's very, in fact, it's, it's, uh, it's done very secretly. The number of, Isra- of, of Arabs who are Israeli citizens is huge. I don't know, it's over, it's, I think it's close to a million people. I think it's about, about a million uh, Arabs are Israeli citizens. But these Arabs and Jews meet secretly um, and they're, they're, they love each other and they're close friends and they worship together because these are people who have both come to recognize that Jesus really is the Messiah that was promised in, in the Old Testament to the people of Israel and to the world. And so as Christians... Arab and Jew get together, they meet, they embrace, they, they share meals together, they read scripture together, they pray together. But they're a very tiny minority. Uh, there's a ministry uh, that's uh, founded in, in California, headquarters is in San Francisco, uh, called Jews for Jesus. And they put out a statement years ago that said the only hope for peace was born in the Middle East. And that's true. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was, a, he was the Jewish Savior and the Savior of the world. And he opens uh, the way of salvation and peace to Jew and Gentile, including Arabs. And so the Arabs that, get, that, that become believers in Jesus, yeah, they, they, they shift in the way that they think uh, pretty dramatically because of the Holy Spirit living inside of them and, and, and changing their minds and their their perspective on everything. So, yeah, Murray is exactly right about that. How the Arab-Israeli conflict became what it is today is uh, is something else that I think is important to understand. But I just wanted to point, and my point isn't here to 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 say that uh, all Arabs are evil because they're not. They're just lost people. They they don't know the truth about God and about Jesus. And so, although they do respect him, 
they respect Jesus as a, a prophet in the same way that unbelieving Jewish people respect Jesus as a prophet. Well, and, you know, one of the things that uh, is so confusing about this war, too, is, you know, like we said, the Palestinian government is literally telling their people to stay in harm's way, you know, and Israel is telling them to get out because we're going to do airstrikes or whatever it is, and they're cutting their power, and people are saying that, well, we got to stand behind Palestine because they're innocent people. Yeah, but their government is also, like, when Israel gives them water, they dig up the pipes and cut the pipes up and turn them into missiles. I mean, you know, so... Well, they so we can get into the wars. Um, Israel was declared a nation by God uh, when he gave the land to Abraham, right? So he actually gave the land to Abraham before before anybody was before there was a Jewish nation. I mean, right? So he gave him the land first. He gave Abraham the land and said, "This is the land that I'm giving to your people." And then Abraham had you know, Isaac, and Isaac had um, the, the whole nation of Israel came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's the land that they lived in until the Romans came in and occupied, and, and they destroyed the temple in 70 AD, kicked all the Jews out of the land that had been theirs since God gave the land to Israel. To, 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 to Abraham. And then the Romans, knowing that the who was the who was the greatest who was the greatest enemy, one of the greatest enemies of Israel? The Philistines, right? So the Romans renamed Israel Philistia, or the land of the Philistines. And and from that word Philistia, we Anglicize that to Palestine. So the word Palestine literally comes from the word Philistines. So they named the land after the, the Jews' arch enemies, the Philistines. And prior to 1948, that land was a desert. Right? I mean, it was nobody wanted it. I mean, there was a. It was not considered to be prime real estate. It wasn't a beautiful place at all. It was. It was a wasteland. But that was the land that was given back to the Jews in 1948 after World War II, because after the Holocaust, the whole world was appalled when they saw what was done to the Jewish people in Germany and Poland. And so the United Nations got together and they said, let's give that little tiny strip of land back to the Jews. And so that's what they did. And they went in there, and the very next day, five Arab nations declared war on them. The that's, very next day. <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think um, I even heard, too, that um, e- even Egypt turned down taking over the, the Gaza Strip. So Egypt didn't even want it. They, so it wasn't until they... Is, and Israel, of course, won that war. Mm-hmm. Even though this is ragtag group. Uh, <laughs> there was a, there's, I, I would love to spend a whole show talking about that, which we don't have time to do now. Do we have to do a break? For anything? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Is, yeah, we should probably talk about our friends at Over Heaven's Cake. There we go. Which I don't even have here. Hold on. We were very prepared for this show today. Well, you know. (laughs) I got it. (laughs) Preparation is good. 
All right, so everybody, uh, let's try. Uh, look at that. We even have a soundboard. Oh, for heaven's cakes, there's nothing better than treating yourself to some homemade baked goods. That's where Oh, for heaven's cakes comes in. You'll find the best cupcakes and cakes for any special occasion or just a treat. Walk in to find out more, but I'm warning you, you won't want to leave. Oh, for heaven's cakes on the north backside of the Grand Cities Mall, and they're open Tuesday through Friday from 10 to 4 and Saturdays 9 to noon. Call 701-757-CAKE. That's 701-757-2253. Or go to O for Heaven's Cakes at yahoo.com. Be a beautiful cupcake in a world full of muffins. O for Heaven's Cakes in the Grand Cities Mall. Uh, yep, be sure to get over there. Great stuff. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I can't believe we've already been going on like 40 minutes here. It's, uh, it's, um, it's easy to get caught up in this, uh, it, it, you know what's happening in the Middle East is horrible. But what's 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 equally horrible is that it could easily spread um, to the rest of the world. And there's a good possibility that it will. What do you what do you think the uh, chances of you know Iran getting involved in this in this are? Do you think that oh, they would? Well, I think they're already. I mean, they're already involved. <laughs> They're already involved. They've been funding Hamas for years. And so the fact that we've given them more money, more terrorism money, uh, it just makes it easier for them to fund it. But what, what are, you're asking me, what do I think the chances are that they'll actually openly become involved instead of giving them money under the table? Yeah. I think they're pretty, it's pretty high. Um, Iran has been calling for the total destruction of Israel um, for, for as long as I can remember. Well, and I think right now it, it's, you know, this is just prime time for him, you know, because of the war with Russia and Ukraine. And then now, you know, Russia's got the backing of China. And then, you know, if they get involved with Iran and Hamas and all this, they're all just going to, they, they know that this is the perfect time to just take down you know, the U.S. I mean, they right. see us at our weakest point. So pushing, so so giving aid to funding and giving arms uh, to Russia's, well, we'll call them the enemy, right? Because Russia, Russia's attacking Ukraine, and this, so, but we're giving them money and arms, so we are essentially declaring ourselves an enemy of Russia. Well, and if China and decides to go into Taiwan, I mean, right now, I mean, they'd be like, well, what's the U.S. going to do about it? They are already trying to back Ukraine. They're right. trying to back right. Israel. I mean, right. you know, now they're going to try to back Taiwan. There's no way. We don't have the population for it. We don't have the, or the military capability for it. Yeah. We've got, well, so while other countries around the world are training their military people how to fight, we're training our military people how to accept uh, every gender that there, you know, that there are multiple genders and that you should need to change your pronouns and you need to be accepting of the person wearing the rainbow-colored uniform. I mean, it's, it's, oh, yeah. a, I mean, it's absurd you, beyond belief. Did you see the, the queers for Palestine? No. Like, yeah, go over there. They'll throw you off the top of the building. Oh, absolutely, they will. <laughs> like, for, and, and that's not an idle threat. They've done it. Yeah. They've done it. They, they, it's, yeah, homosexuality is completely, it's, it's outlawed in most of those countries. And something, by the way, the hateful Donald Trump actually said publicly, hey, take, take away, he said, don't make homosexuality illegal. That's stupid. He said that to other, other nations. But he's so hateful, isn't he? The people that, that 
on that side, the rainbow side, uh, hate Donald Trump. And yet he publicly said, don't get rid of your laws against homosexuality. They're going to, you know, it's not your business what people do in their own bedrooms. Right. But they, they don't care. They, they, they hate him anyway, but you're right. Yeah. In in most Arab countries, if not all homosexuality is illegal. And if somebody's found to be practicing homosexuality, they're uh, yeah, they throw them off the roof. Yeah. It's- I mean, that's happened. I mean, they've, they've done that. They've done that. And yet, there's a tremendous amount of homosexual activity that occurs, but it's not open. It's not on the open. Yeah, I mean, because I'm sure if they got caught, they would get thrown off of a roof. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, or stoned, exactly. stoned to death. You know, yeah. so, something barbaric. That's a whole other. I don't even know if, if I want to get into that, but uh, but I've got people who are friends in. I, I've got friends in the mil- who've served in the military who've served in places like Afghanistan and Iraq and other places in the Middle East. And the stories that I've heard from them, and they don't know each other, but they're, they're consistent in the stories that they tell about what happens over there. You know, what is uh, kind of surprising with all this going on, too, is people aren't really talking about the WHO or the CDC anymore. No, isn't that convenient? Uh, they've kind of been put on the back burner. Yeah. So they can operate, you know, their little thing... You know, now they've got Agenda 2030, which is the, you know, part of, part of Agenda 2030 is for, for the United States anyways, that the U.S. government take ownership of 30% of the land in America, that, it become, that it's under total federal authority and nobody can own it except the federal government. And then Agenda 2050 is that by the year 2050, that the federal government owns at least 50% of all the land in America. The ultimate goal, clearly, is to abolish property ownership in the United States, which is the goal of the communists from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right? That, I mean, that's, that's the primary foundational plank of communism is no private property ownership, which is pretty much, other than a few territories in Alaska, that's the way that it is in the United States right now. You don't own your own home. You don't own the land that your home sits on. That's owned by the county. And you pay rent every year or twice a year in order to live there. And, if you st- and the proof that they own it and not you, even though you paid off your mortgage, the proof of that is that if you stop paying rent to the county, they'll kick you out and they'll bring in somebody else and rent it to them. Yeah. Uh, we call it property tax, but it's really not. It's, it's rent. Yeah. But they're getting a little bit off topic there. Um, <laughs> so I got another question for you. With Biden going over there, what do you think the chances are that this meeting that he's going to have, they're going to tell him that he has to follow whatever they say, or you know they'll they'll stop a pull, they'll put it into this, but on one condition, you have to make sure that Donald Trump does not become the next president. If who says that to him, Iran, or oh. you know, Iran, Jordan, all of them, the. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that he's, that's already his agenda anyway, right? But, I mean, you know... <laughs> he doesn't need to be threatened to, to try to prevent President Trump from regaining the White House. Yeah. Uh, that's already his goal, and that certainly is their goal. Uh, Israel was... Uh, we were a great friend to Israel when President Trump was in office. You know, Israel did what every president since Reagan has failed to do, which is to move the U.S. Embassy 
back to Jerusalem where it belongs. I guess uh, I, to make my point a little bit more clear, Sorry. the you know I, I'm thinking that they'll have a meeting and they'll say, hey, look, we're going to cut off all supplies to oil. Your gas prices are going to shoot through the roof. There's not going to be a spitball's chance in hell that you're going to win this election unless you do these things that we say. So basically, he I mean, he's probably already in their pocket, but just even more in their pocket. Yeah, he is in their pocket. I mean, the fact is that President Trump made us not not only energy independent, but energy dominant. You know, the, the whole purpose of, of the Department of Energy, which was established, I think, in 77 or 76, something like that. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember the date. Um, the whole point of having a Department of Energy was to make America energy independent. So we wouldn't have to need oil from the Middle East. And all we've done is become more dependent on those countries, except under Donald Trump. He made us truly energy independent. Biden has now shut all of that down, Mm -hmm. just like he stopped all the sanctions that Trump put in place against Iran to keep them from getting nuclear capabilities. Um, He's done everything that he, everything that Biden has done since he's been in office, in my opinion, uh, not just locally, but but globally in terms of national policy, has been uh, to the detriment of the United States remaining a free country or, or, or a safe country for that matter. And so uh, why he's still in office, uh, why he hasn't been brought up on charges of, of treason and sedition, uh, my only explanation is that Donald Trump was right. The Washington, D.C. is a swamp. And the people that are there who run the place are swamp creatures, and they really don't like this country. They've, been, they've, they've sold out to someone else, and, uh, and they're doing everything that they can to bring America down. And, and, that makes, and that sounds, on the one hand, it sounds crazy, but on the other hand, it, it totally makes sense. If you get out of your little bubble of everything is you know, puppies and kittens and rainbows uh, and realize that there are people that, in the world that truly hate us. I mean, they hate America. They hate our constitution. They hate the freedoms that we have. They hate the abilities that we have. They hate the fact that we've actually projected this image around the world that freedom is a good thing and that people should be able to choose what they want to do without government interference. And I'm not talking about things like, you know, doing crack cocaine on the streets or heroin or that, that kind of stuff the government needs to get involved with because it, it affects other people, not just the individual. But, but they hate that. People hate that. And so, they're, they, so they've been trying to destroy the, America, the, the American dream of the United States since our founding. And what's the best way to do it? Okay, look, what would be the best way for someone who hates GFBS and wants to see GFBS fail? What would be the best way for them to, to get GFBS to fail? I mean, they could fight from the outside or they could get you to, you know, they convince you that, that, that uh, Dean is a lousy guy and he needs to be, uh, he needs to be given the boot so they can come in and, and run the program. And then everything that they do would be to undermine, to break equipment, to sever connections, to make sure that things just are always not working correctly. It makes a lot more sense to destroy your enemy from within than to attack them from the outside. Because once you're on the inside and you gain their trust, you also gain access. And so our enemies have gained access inside our own country by infiltrating our local, state, and federal government. Yeah, and I mean, and just the idiocy of these people, like the, the squad the AOCs of... The, and they're the, the obvious ones, right? They're, yeah. they're the ones that are, that are really obvious that we can see. But there are many more that are covert in their mission to destroy America. 
and and they're they're the ones that are the most dangerous ones because they may they may masquerade as a Democrat, they may masquerade as a Republican, but the fact of the matter is they're a tool for those who want to destroy us. You know, we mentioned on the show before that, uh, and I, I I think we're I mean we're kind of off topic because I really wanted to talk about Israel, but um, uh, Mao, Chairman Mao. Uh, said he was going to destroy America and it was going to take him a hundred years. And, um, and that, you know, I, I don't know exactly what date that he said it, but it's going to put, it would put that date at somewhere around 1940 something. Mm-hmm. And they're well on their way to doing it. They've weakened us so much. Again, we've got military people teaching how to use proper pronouns yeah. to our soldiers and and giving them you know d- inclusion tra- diversity and inclusion training instead of teaching them here's how you kill the enemy that's the whole point of the uh, of the military here's how you kill the enemy here's how you defend the united states and so by by destroying our ability to defend ourselves we ultimately destroy ourselves yeah and, and you know with this open border and all these you know terrorists that are more than likely living in the United States right now. I mean, you saw that protest in London. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of people. They're not and, more than likely living here. They are living here. Yeah. And, but you, so if you want to do the scary scenario of this, you take all of them and they all get together and, you know, they want to be martyrs and die. They all turn into suicidal bombers. I mean, you're going to have explosions going off all over the place. But you can go a bit. You can get back to Israel. I mean, we, we got time. I got, we got another, you know. 45 minutes we can go if we want. Okay. Uh, I Unfortunately, I can't go for 45 minutes, but I promise next week we will get into some real... We'll, we'll, we'll just jump right into the geopolitical aspect of the Arab-Israeli conflict, and I think that it's going to make everything a whole lot more clear because when, when people understand what started this from starting in 1948... Well, we won't go all the way back to biblical times. We've already done that. We'll start with Israel starting in 1948, and then we'll bring us up to present day. And once we, once we understand the conflicts, and you'll see the, the, the spiritual aspect of that when we do that, but um, it's important to understand that they, um, the, the, <clears throat> violence due to the way that life has been taught in the Arab world is perpetual. Uh, I'm going to again quote from Raymond Bennett. One of the things, by the way, I I must say, here's one of the good things. Uh, Arabs are notoriously uh, uh, hospitable. They, if if you're a guest, if you go into their, they will give you, I mean, they're incredibly generous. Uh, Their hospitality has been well established for thousands of years, thousands of years. The problem is that it's, they may be your friend today and tomorrow. I'll give an example. Uh, there, was a, there were some American soldiers who were in a, an Arab country uh, 15, 20 years ago. And, uh, and this guy had befriended uh, a Muslim there in his country. And they were great friends, great friends. 
and they'd be they'd go over to his house and they would he would feed them and i mean they they really established a, a great bond but these are american soldiers and they're young guys and they're young kind of not so bright guys right and they still had an american mindset and they still thought that what they thought was funny was universally funny and one day one of these two or three guys, I don't remember how many soldiers there were, um, turned away from his Arab host and uh, broke wind. Okay. He, in other words, he, he passed gas mm-hmm. in the other guy's direction. But in his culture, in that culture, uh, they not only don't do that, I mean, they, they don't do that. They don't do that in in the presence of anyone that they respect, much less in their same direction. But these guys didn't. They thought it was hilarious. They're laughing and laughing. But to this man, what they had just done was an insult that exceeded any of the ties, the bonds that they'd established as friends. And, and, and some days after that, that man murdered each all of those military men because he had to, because what they had done had blackened his face and the face of his family. And so he had to take revenge. Let me give you an, uh, again, reading from the book, <clears throat> Philistine. Uh, another feature of the Bedouin ethos is the law of blood revenge. A much quoted Arab proverb is blood demands blood. That's a quote. Blood demands blood. Relatives must avenge the blood of the slain by killing either the actual murderer or one of his relatives. Even when a murderer is apprehended, convicted in a court of law, and executed, it does not fulfill the requirements of blood revenge. So just follow this for a minute. One of the relatives of the executed man must die by the hand of one of the victim's relatives. Hear that? One of the relatives of the executed man, the the guilty party, must die by the hand of one of the victim's relatives. And of course, the murdered relative's blood must be avenged by his relatives. And thus it continues ad infinitum. An Arab man once remarked that, quote, both the Japanese and the Arabs are ready to kill to regain their lost honor, but the Japanese will kill himself, while the Arab will kill somebody else. So you've heard, you know, you know what Harry Carey is. In, in Japanese, that's when the Japanese person who has been dishonored or has dis- brought dishonor to his family falls on his own sword and, and commits suicide right? mm-hmm. with a sword, Harry Carey. I thought that was Subaku or something. Well, maybe it's depending on the things, Harry Carey. What, whatever it is, they fall Sebaku. on their sword. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, uh, is that Japanese? Yeah. Oh. Maybe that's how they say it. And. Maybe we, we translated. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. anyway, the point is they'll take their own life. Mm-hmm. But in the Arab world, they take the life of someone else. Um, Sepuku? Yeah. That's suicide because, for the purpose of... Yeah, so, yeah, Sepuku. For the purpose of honor? Yep. Is that what that is? Yeah, that's where they you know, slit their belly open and watch their intestines fall out. And then I think most of the time, too, uh, right behind that, then somebody comes over and cuts their head off. You're right, right. Let's see. 
Biden is getting. I'm just going to read some some notes here. Let's see. Twenty. Okay. So okay. here, while, while you're reading that, I'm, I'm going to do our uh, ad for Churchill Shoes. Okay. S Moth to Churchill Shoes in the Grand Cities Mall. Churchill Shoes is in their new location, and all SAS shoes are on sale all October long. Churchill Shoes has been in business for over 65 years and know what the best shoes are for your comfort and well-being. It's SAS Shoes. Churchill Shoes can cater to all your footwear needs, whether men's or women's shoes, from slim to triple wide. Open Monday through Friday from 9 to 5 and Saturdays from 9 to 3. Call 701-772-8256 or go online at churchillshoesnd.com. SAS Shoes, your feet will be glad you got them at Churchill Shoes in the Grand Cities Mall. All right. And I do appreciate the comment, Marie. I, I would love to, but... I don't think that that's probably going to work for me. <laughs> I feel like I'm but like, like talking to myself. <laughs> uh, for anybody that's wondering in the chat, Marie said that um, after David has to leave that she would be more than willing to have this conversation, oh, conversation with me. with you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it says, she wrote, it sounds like Israel's strategy to a T, but I don't know what she's referring to. So, um, so you know the term assassin. Where does the, the word assassin come from? We all know what it means, but where does it come from? I actually don't know. Okay, well, here we go. Uh, Assassins was the name given to a medieval murderous group of Syrian Muslims. The assassins belonged to a sect of Islam known as uh, Ismaili. I think I said that correctly. And in calculated war of terror, they murdered sovereigns, princes, generals, governors, and even the divines of Islam. Their murders were designed to frighten, to weaken, and to ultimately overthrow the Sunni sect of Islam. So there's Sunni and Shia sects, right? And they're at war with each other. And once again, that fits into the biblical description of his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he'll live in hostility against all of his brothers. And uh, just uh, the Sunni and the Shiites, that's where you have the, uh, the red cloak and then the, and then the white, you know, the head turban. Gerb, yeah. Uh, I can't remember which is which. I, I just know I'm pretty sure that the red one is bad. But they don't like, well, they, yeah. So the assassins terrorized. So they, so they're they're against the Sunnis, right? The Shiites are 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 much. Uh, I'm not an expert on this whatsoever, but my understanding is that the Shiites are the ones that are uh, most hostile. The Sunnis are more. I, I think um, this was my my. I'll have to ask my father because he was over in uh, what was it Iraq, and he had to interact with all of them. Right. So, right. so he came back with the two. So, so the assassins terrorized the Middle East from the 11th to the 13th century and derived their name from the Arabic word hashashin, meaning smokers of hashish. Okay, so what they did is they whipped themselves into a religious frenzy by the smoking of hashish before committing their murders, and they were the foreigners of today's terrorists. They ended up being so revered that they were actually given their own building in Damascus. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the history, um, and not much has changed in the, the Middle East since then. Um, there's uh, names like Abu Nidal, reputedly the, mo- the world's most wanted man, Ahmed Jibril, believed to be, to, to be the mastermind behind the bombing of 1989 Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland. Do you remember that? It was several years ago. Killed 269 people on board, another 11 on the ground considered to be the most, world's most dangerous terrorist. This book was written, by the way, before 9-11. Uh, George Habashia, uh, 
Yasser Arafat, um, Naif Hawatima, and a host of others whose names are synonymous with murder, terror, operate w- uh, within, from within the Middle East. The victims include both Arabs and non-Arabs, and the number the numbers killed, maimed, or injured annually is in the tens of thousands. Terrorism is so much a part of Arab culture that most Arab countries levy a 2% fedayeen tax on all entertainment tickets. And fedayeen is uh, another word for, for assassins or terrorists. So they actually tax in order to fund those activities. Terrorist warfare has allowed Arab regimes to attack Western targets while denying responsibility. Uh, for the attack. Sovereign Arab states such as Syria, Iraq, and Libya have provided arms, embassies, intelligence services, and money to various terror organizations operating against the West and other objects of their animosity, thereby transforming terrorism uh, that had been a local peculiarity in the Middle Eastern area um, into an international malignancy. So the hijacking uh, and bombing... So terrorists ahead. and assassins basically the same thing then? Yes. Okay. Yep, yep, they basically are, right. The hijacking of and bombing of aircraft, bombing of embassies, the murder of diplomats, taking of hostages by Arab terrorists have since been adopted by non-Arab terrorists around the world. So they kind of they kind of set the stage, they 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 wrote the playbook for how terrorism works and now other other groups have taken up those same tactics. But the, tell me What's the, the, what's the name of the Israeli terror group? Uh, it's a trick they, question. Yeah, I don't think they have one. You don't, they don't have one, <laughs> right? There isn't one. Yeah. So, so anybody that says, oh, the Israelis do the same thing, they don't, by even a close stretch, do the same thing. Not, not at all the same thing. There are no Israeli terror groups. Uh, the Israelis are trying to live in peace in the land where they live in Israel. The problem is that when you start talking about peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, the word peace means something different to the Israeli than it means to the Arab neighbors. To the Israeli, peace means now we're going to live in, you know, as friends. We're going to live without any kind of, you don't attack us, we don't attack you, and, and, and that way we'll live together. But peace for the Arab nations means just a temporary cessation of hostilities until a time when they can engage in those hostilities again. Countries like Iran have said for decades that they want nothing less than the absolute destruction of every Jew in the world. Not, not just even the Middle East. They want to get rid they, they basically are, are carrying on Hitler's tradition. They want to destroy every single Jew on the face of the planet. Never has Israel taken the position, we want to destroy every Arab on the face of the planet. It, it, I mean, it's not even close. So let me just read just a little bit more, and then we'll, we can end, and, and we'll come back next week um, with more. And we'll really get into the whole land deal. What's an Arab? What's, uh, what's Palestine? What's Israel? And how did that all work? And I think that, that we need to make that very clear. Arabs are unpredictable. Quote, a gentle and peaceful man on the spur of the moment may commit brutal murder. A man's best friend of yesterday might well be his murderer tomorrow. Once aroused, his wrath has no limits. How true is the Arab proverb, quote, at a meal, 
a quarrel, with each bite a worry. Arab spokesmen tell Westerners, quote, if it were not for the Israelis, all would be peace and harmony in the Middle East. That's what they say. If it wasn't for the Israelis, it wasn't for the Jews, all would be peace and harmony in the, in the Middle East. That was actually going to be my next question. If they were to wipe them out completely, then what, they just start eating themselves? Uh, the, yes. The, 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 he goes on. The Middle East was a bloody and insecure region long before Israel raised her head in 1948. And most of the coups, conflicts, and killings in Arab states and Iran in the last 40 years have not been connected to Israel at all. The current Secretary General, he's not any Boutros, Boutros, Kali isn't Secretary General anymore, but he wrote in 1982, in 1982, Boutros, Boutros, wrote, in the, the last three decades alone, more than 30 conflicts between Arab states have erupted. Between Arab states. That means Arab state against Arab state. 30 conflicts in the last three decades. Some of these conflicts were, in fact, full-scale wars. In addition to these conflicts, John Laffin writes, Quote, between 1948 and 1973, the Arab world suffered 30 successful revolutions and at least 50 unsuccessful ones. Laffin adds, in the same period, 22 heads of state and prime ministers were murdered. Laffin gives the main reason for conflicts as the desire for power, says that some of the wars were hideously brutal. So why, why, well, again, we know it was spoken of the Arab nation from the beginning, but the hatred that we see being played out against old people, women, children, toddlers, babies uh, in this latest attack against Israel is unprecedented in, in our lifetime, right? Where does this hatred come from? Unlike Israeli children who are taught to try to live in peace. Arab children are first indoctrinated with hate in the home, and for these fortunate enough to receive an education, the school system and textbooks ensure its students will graduate in the subject. Hatred, especially toward Israel and the Jews, is nurtured and developed in the minds of Arab children and occupies a great deal of space in Arab textbooks. A former Syrian minister of education wrote, there's a former minister of education, wrote these words, the hatred which we indoctrinate into the minds of our children from their birth is sacred. Let me read that again. This is an Arab Syrian minister of education. And he wrote, the hatred which we indoctrinate into the minds of our children from their birth is sacred. Throughout the Arab world, School children are constantly faced with the following types of exercise. Israel was born to die. Prove it. We shall expel all Jews from the Arab countries. The Arabs do not cease to act for the extermination of Israel. Israel shall not live if the Arabs stand fast in their hatred. And on the back of a standard exercise book, there's a map of Israel. The Arab armies, armies are shown encircling it, and a missile is aimed at Tel Aviv. A Jew born and educated in Syria, but who later escaped to Israel, recalls, quote, I remember that the Muslim boys threw stones at me. I remember, too, the education I received in, this, in school, the Jewish school. But the majority is Muslim. I remember it is written that the Jews are evil. I don't know why. And their God is a God who wants to drink the blood of all the other peoples. This was in the Arab book, 
the Arabic, the Arabic book at the education system. I was taught this in the Jewish school because I'm a student and I want to pass through these schools to graduate. In America, the only thing that even comes close is when a group of, you know, LGBT or BLM activists say that uh, whites are, are historically racist. I was going to say, I was CRT. Sounds a lot like CRT. Everything's right. racist until we win. Right. But what they're doing is that they're saying that we're racist. They're not actually saying we need to hate whites, we need to kill whites, we need to completely exterminate whites. What percentage of the, of the world's population is white? I was talking with a friend of mine about this just the other day. He said it took him forever to find this on the internet because it's hidden. World's population, well, obviously, we, we, we're the majority, right? The, the blacks and, and Asians and Hispanics, they're the minorities of the world, right? <laughs> Wrong. Whites make up 16% of the world's population, 16%. That means 84% of the world's population is non-white. And yet... White guys are the bad guys in America. But that's, 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 that's a fraction of the kind of hatred that is fomented against the Jews in the Middle East by all the countries that surround Israel. That's one of the things that's always kind of baffled me, too, with this whole, you know, like the CRT movement and, you know, whites are racist and, you know, because your ancestors were slave owners. You know, what if a guy comes over here from Ireland and they go up to him and like, I need reparations from you. He's like, I'm from Ireland. What are you talking about? You know, none of it, none of it makes, (laughs) none of it makes sense unless the goal is destruction. And that's what it is. And it's the same thing with the, the, the goal to destroy Israel. Um, What's the vendetta that the, that the Arab nations have against Israel? What's it based on? What did Israel do to them? I'd like someone to maybe, maybe Marie can answer that question. What did Israel ever do to the Arab nations surrounding and encircling it, uh, except for the part that's water? Uh, what did they do that, what did Israel do that they should be so hostile toward the Jewish nation? Maybe we can answer that. Force them off their land? No, no, just the opposite. They didn't force them off any land. They weren't living there. It was a, it was a wasteland when Israel became a nation. I mean, yeah, were there Bedouins that were... They're, they're nomads. The Bedouins are nomads. They travel all over the place, right? They go, they, that, that's their wanderers. That's their whole... That's their lifestyle, living out of tents. And, you know. So was Israel, so was Israel, Israel bigger so wait, 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 at one point? Pardon me? Was Israel bigger at one point? As a country, yes, definitely it was. Yeah, it was definitely larger than it is today. It's less, less than half of the the size of land that both that God gave them and that even that the UN uh, agreement gave them. It's less than half because because the the land's been taken over and they've given, they've they've bought into foolishly. I think they've bought into this concept of land for peace. Land for peace. I think that's so. Marie, right. so wait, Marie said force them off their land. No. Like, we, like I said, over a million Israelis living in Israel are Arabs. They weren't forced off their land. We'll get into that next week. And the whole concept of the right of return, uh, that's an understanding that most people don't have. But the fact is, yeah, Yon was created and gave Israel this wasteland. 
Yeah, no, they, they, God gave Israel the land of Israel thousands of years ago. It was a promise to Abraham. I think that's what I was getting at earlier when I was talking about Egypt, you know, the, the land for peace. And Israel told Egypt that they would give them the Gaza Strip, and Egypt said, we don't want it. Well, the, the, what they want is the total destruction of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. Um, when... when <laughs> when uh, when the Israelis came back to that land, it was not wanted by by the fact that there were people there. They were welcome to stay there. They didn't kick anybody out. They didn't kick anybody out. We'll start next week's uh, program with that. They didn't kick anybody out. They were welcome to stay and to become Israeli citizens, and many of them did, and and many of them have become Israeli citizens since then, living in that land. And, uh, and, and, and Gaza is an area that is, it's, it's still technically Israeli, but it's run by, by Arabs. And so anyway, we'll, we'll get more into that next week. But, but how, how this whole concept, the right of return, the, 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 the Palestinian, quote, refugees, that's not true, Marie. Uh, she's wrote, Muslims are not welcome. That's not true at all. Um, there are, I know people who live in Israel. And there is a there is a significant Muslim population there. You know what I think uh, we should do uh, also um, for one of these coming shows is try to get uh, one of the, the people that were in town here from that church group that was over in Israel just recently. Mm. That and now that they came back, they should tell us about their experience over there. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. Uh, yeah, I know several of them. Okay, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm looking really forward to uh, to next week's show. Good. Thank you very much, David. My pleasure. Thank All you, Paul. Right. Well, I guess that wraps up today's episode of The Great Reset. Uh, We wish John the very best, and we will see him back uh, next week. Uh, Thanks again to today's sponsors, Executive Property, Churchill Shoes, and Ofer Heaven's Cakes. And many thanks to Dale for producing, or Dean, for producing the show today. (laughs) Uh, Coming up at 1 p.m. today, we uh, tune in uh, for City Chatter. Uh, Who do we have coming in today again? What is it, uh, Rebecca Osowski? Yes, Uh, so... That will be a great interview. Uh, and then, let's see, tomorrow at 11, uh, we'll be interviewing the Grand Forks Public Library for their upcoming Halloween events. So, uh, everybody, remember to like, share, tag, and follow GFBS. And uh, I would definitely recommend that you hit the join button on Rumble. Um, you will get a notification every time we go live that way. And that's where we kind of want everybody to transition to. Uh, so remember, the Grand Cities are a wonderful place, and Grand Fork's best source. We're giving them an identity again. <laughs>